Hi, everyone. It's Mandy. Before we go into it, patrons, you are everything. Thank you so much for being supporters of the show, supporters of the Restorative Grief platform everywhere it's found. Because I've been doing this for a while now, but I tell you, running with others makes it so much more enjoyable. So if you're interested in all the premium content, exclusive interviews coming up, or even just supporting the methods and the work because you know it makes an impact in your life and in others, then we would love to have you join us. Check out the show notes for links and that's that's it. Let's get into it. <laughs> Welcome back to Restorative Grief with Manti Capehart. You are listening to episode 63 titled Finding Your Story with Kimberly Ann Bell. Kimberly Bell's memoir, The Epitome of Kimmy, helps remove the shroud of shame from some of our hardest life experiences. It can be easy to believe that you are alone in your grief story, especially when it starts at an age as young as five. But through modeling and education, we can learn what it means to pursue our own values and healing path through loss and into the life we want. After all, to know where you're going, you first have to know who you are. I hope you'll find Kimberly's hope-filled story as encouraging and beautiful as I did. Oh, welcome back, everybody. Good morning to my beautiful guest, Miss Kimberly Bell. How are you today, Kimberly? I'm doing great, Mandy. How are you? Oh, girl, I'm doing well. So before I go down a rabbit trail, why don't you introduce yourself to the audience? Okay, well, I am Kimberly Ann Bell, and I am grateful. It's a blessing and an honor, first of all, to be um, talking to you today. I am a beautiful mother of four adult children and one minor. <laughs> and she's, she just turned six years old. So I have, I have six grandchildren, and I am just in this beautiful season of my life. I've been a case manager for, manager for over probably 12 years working for the um, uh, community um, and uh, in the state of Maryland, um, I help them navigate resources and connect with uh, their providers. And it's just been a wonderful career of choice that I, I just I've been passionate about um, serving the community. So I just love it. And um, I have um, also been able to uh, get some bucket lists crossed out on my list. <laughs> so um, I now have um, my first baby out, my memoir, and I'm just so excited the way my my journey has um, has found a, a path now to for me to just be in awe, give my own awe moments that um, I'm just grateful. <laughs> so I love that's it. a little bit about me. <laughs> I love it. Those bucket lists things, especially when they include a book or a memoir are so much more significant and jarring than I think we realize we write, write a book on our bucket list. And we're like, dear Lord, this is going to take way more out of me and demand so much of me. So the fact that you've done it with babies and all the extra grandkids, I think that's amazing. So tell us a little bit about what your book is about and why it brought you to us here on restorative grief. Well, um, my book is about my foundation, my journey from the beginning. And it was, um, 
I had to explore and relive the just things in my foundation that was broken. And the first piece was um, being given to my um, adopted parents, which was my really my paternal aunt. And it was at the age of five. So I stayed with my biological parents and my older sister up until I was five years old. So I got adjusted, even though things was chaotic and not quite um, the the normal, <laughs> the normal um, take of uh, feelings. Um, I always felt a disconnection from my biological mother. And it was one day, it was a very traumatic event that had happened that led into me going to my um, adoptive parents' house, his uh, sister, which is my paternal aunt, as I said, and uh, that's where I stayed. No one came back and get me. No one talked to me about it, but um I always yearn to be reunited with my parents, at least one of them, uh, reunited to my siblings. They had other kids. They did finally get a divorce and uh, he remarried. She remarried, had a, another family, but I just think like I was always the abandoned one <laughs> and had to deal with the abandonment issues and the rejection issues. But I had a, a very um, uh, strong connection with um my adopted father that tried to build or try to um, fill in the gap of the foundations and the fundamentals that was broken. So I remember him saying, no matter what, Kimmy, you love. And that's how I got the title of the epitome of Kimmy is because he was the one that called me Kimmy. And um, how I got introduced to your show is I lost my father, my adopted father in 97. And here I'm grown. I have the four children at that time, the four adult children. Matter of fact, I had just finally had my son because I had three girls before I had my last, my last child. Well, it was supposed to be my last child. That was the fourth one. And, and Emmanuel comes and he's six weeks old and um, he was able to, I was able to travel and um, go home. And I, I remember him putting him in his arms and, you know, just owing and saying, I prayed for him. As always, you know, he was the one that set the foundation of God and spirituality and for me to connect, not to just live on his connection, but for me to connect. And I felt that that was so honorable. But like I said, um, about seven or eight weeks of my son's life, he passed away. And so when he passed away, I had to deal with and come to acceptance of the grief. And that was really my first encounter of my first love, my first protector passing away, leaving me. Yeah. I think it's really remarkable too, because you painted such a rich picture there in the middle of all of the, the grief event from being little and feeling just pulled out of your core family. And I think that that's really easy to misunderstand as an adult too. So I love that you acknowledge that, like, even as a five-year-old to say, well, I want to go back to my mom and dad. Yes. I don't, yeah. I don't know that that's not healthy as an environment. <laughs> yes. I know right. it as the only environment that I, the only, yes, yeah. exactly. Exactly. So that's one of those areas when you said that I was like, Oh, we disenfranchise grief <laughs> from children all the time because we take that and we say, no, this is what's reasonably expected for you as a child, which 
of course we want to provide safe, helpful in, you know, places for children to flourish. But I think acknowledging that they experience a loss, even in that a double loss, right? They've lost their stability, but they've also lost more. Um, but I, I love that your, your adopted father was able to Mm. come alongside in a way that was so intentional and so formative for you that it really reformed your shape and understanding of what family looked like. Yeah. Yes, he did. He did. And he modeled it. You know, one thing I stay clear, he, 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 um, had a third grade education. I was raised in a generational era where they were a lot older than me. And I was their only, you know, child. She couldn't have any children. So I was, you know, the youngest, I was the baby, but he modeled more than, and and he gave me a lot of quotes, especially as, you know, you treat people like you would want you to to be treated. Um, He would, you know, read scriptures aloud to me, but he modeled you know, the way he wanted his life to be where he connected. He, I used to see him praying. I used to see him singing, you know, um, uh, hymnals. And not only that, I, 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 I was able to observe him and my mother working as a team. We had a garden. They used to um, plant um, different fruits and different vegetables, depending on what the choice they wanted to, um, they wanted to grow. Um, he, used to do domestic work just like she did. You wouldn't, it wasn't strange to see him putting clothes out on the line. Uh, her, the, um, both of them switching, cutting grass on the um, lawn war. I mean, it, <laughs> you know, so it was like I say to many people, um, you know, you can say, and yes, words have power, but even in our adult's life, if we don't see things by example, or how people really overcome and deal with things, you know, and it's open or, you know, talked about, how would we know, you know, like our life is an example. And that's why it just threw me into speaking my truth and then writing it, putting all my stories, all the things that I experienced together. I didn't leave anything out. Mandy, I put everything. I put my whole life on. <laughs> I put all the, all the marriages that didn't, 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 um, didn't work out. I put all my, the birth of my children and um, my um, educational career move. I mean, well, the um, academic first foundation where they misdiagnosed me, I put everything out there because I was like, I have to show as well as live, you know, to inspire someone else that there were many times that I could have gave up. I could have gave in. I could have just took the statistics and said, okay, this is what they say about me. This is what it's going to be. And I chose differently. Yeah. Oh, I love it. I, okay. So the fact of your father and your mom creating such a beautiful example leads me down the road of reattaching this to the grief conversation, right? Because it's one thing for your parents or for anyone in the world addressing grief or loss to say, this is what you do. This is what's expected. Even in your relationship to faith, this is what we do. This is what's expected. And this is how you do it. But it is quite another thing to live it in such a visual and rich example that it leads you to ask the same questions for yourself and find a conclusion that actually turns out to be the path forward for you. And so I want to know how you recognized that, like how old were you when you recognized that they were actually setting an example and not just 
telling you what to do because as a teenager and even as a young adult, I still struggled with like mom, dad. Yeah. Okay. I get it. You're telling me what to do, but I still hadn't necessarily taken their example and internalized it as, oh, this is, this is a true path forward where I can look and find where are my values, what, what matters to me and how do I walk forward on it? So how old were you when that started to like make sense? I was probably in my twenties. Mm-hmm. I was probably in my twenties that it started making sense of the examples and how they were um, a role model because I was still dealing with um, younger um, issues that I had to come and accept myself, like the rejection, the abandonment, the trust issues. Um, even though I was raised with them and they had, and you were exactly right, intentionally did the best to not hurt me or cause harm, they wasn't educated. They wasn't trained on taking an, an, another child from a different era too, that was taken not at birth or an infant, but at five, <laughs> that, as you said, that, that had that loss and, and had to go through her own grief and um, silence because no one was sharing. And so there I, for, for I formed this skin that who cares about my emotions? Who cares how I feel? Yeah. I think in your twenties too, it's a very easy place to decide like two paths, right? I'm going to stick with this, who cares and harden, or I'm going to look the other direction and recognize, wait, there's something really precious here. If I can learn how to soften and ask some questions of me that I've never been allowed to ask. Right. Right. (sighs) Man, I'm just picturing little girl, you looking forward (laughs) at this beautiful opportunity. And at the same time, looking back and thinking like, girl, you were so precious and you were so covered. And even in the midst of that, you experienced loss. And I feel like that is something where we just have to be okay. Inviting little kids, not to harp on like when you were little, but just that Mm -hmm. willingness as adults to invite children, to express what they're experiencing and express what hurts and to be patient because it's going to take them a long time. Yes. A process. Yes. Yes. And had, like you, you're, you're, you're so on it. Like Mandy, if I had had people to say, and, and mind you, some people came into my life, like my um, first educator um, that, that school had um, misdiagnosed me. I was really should have been diagnosed with PTSD. She didn't look like me, but she, used to say to me um, through her words and she would hold my hand is that you're a special child. I'm not going to give up on you. And that's what I needed to hear. But I also, like you were saying, if someone, if they were educator trained and said, you know, because I remember so many sad moments that I stayed in my room. They didn't know what I was doing. I said, Kimmy, are you all right? Yeah, I'm in my room, you know, but I was sad. I was disappointed. And all those feelings are valid. And if a child doesn't know it's okay, then you're taking, you know, that emotion power from them that this something must be wrong with me to feel disappointed, to feel sad, to, to feel, you know, but not, no, it's not really nothing wrong with you. Actually, you're, it's something great about you because you have those emotions. Yeah. And you have access to them and you're gaining the language to express them. You know, we have so many people that um, I get to work with that have no idea 
what emotions to express beyond anger, beyond sorrow, beyond happy. They don't know necessarily or have language to say, well, actually I'm feeling really disappointed or really nervous or really excited. You know, those other words that of course seem reasonable to us as adults, but as kids, they might not be able to articulate that. And so having that, you're right, that education, but also just someone to come alongside and say, it's okay to feel. And here's some words that might help describe what you're feeling. Yes. Yes. In a way that's specific. Then harbor them in, or like I said, feel like there's something wrong with you to have those emotions. And so um, I went through a very difficult time at 13 of harboring my emotions and feeling um, that unwanted um, emotion that if someone manipulated that feeling in whatever way that it could have been fit, benefit them that I was wanted or that I was special. I got really into a situation, even in my adopted family's home, where I was molested by their um, their extended family member for a year. And this would took the grief even harder with my father because he died not for knowing. If anyone that I would have told, I would told him, but because I had harbored this, this cry, this being solid, I was one, 12, it was almost a year. And I was thinking, what would happen to him? What would he do if he found out? Was I wrong? Was, you know, all those things that I, I wasn't free to say. And yeah, so when he passed away, that was one of my grief and one of my sorrows for years is here, my protector, I built this trust and my protector died not knowing that someone hurt his Kimmy. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really intense regret to carry. I'm Mm -hmm. grateful for you sharing that because I think that's more relatable than we realize. We yeah. feel very strongly, I'm sure, that we are protecting our people who are supposed yeah. to protect us instead of yes. being honest and recognizing yes. like, yeah. okay, this is going to suck, but it sucks yeah. already. Exactly. And I bring in the people <laughs> to support me while through this thing. You're absolutely the least about right. It. But, yeah. oh man, a lot of the grief work that I do with people is about asking the question of what you want. And most of the time, the answer is, I don't know, or I want to feel better. And I love that question on the front end, simply because it's so unanswerable that there's no action that can say, I want to make you feel better, or I just don't want to grieve anymore, but it leads us to the next question of, listen, I know that you want to move forward and I know you want to feel differently about grief, but you have to know what your values are and come back into realignment with them as you walk forward. Cause grief events, um, no matter what shape they take, push us out of alignment. They, they make us question ourselves. They make us question our emotions, our, our sense of rational thinking. Are we crazy? Are we experiencing something that's not real? They even push our spiritual selves completely off the rails. And so mm-hmm. your foundation being one that started so tenuous and became so solid through your relationship with your adopted father, how in your twenties, did you then kind of reflect back and say, okay, this is where I've been. And I can see where I want to be going. I can see that embracing Kimmy means finding for myself this path that's, that looks like mine and not just a borrowed version from my dad and my mom um, and anyone else that inspired or influenced you. What was it? What were the values that started to come to the surface that helped you find and learn how to accept and embrace who you are? 
Um, I would say first my probably my strongest value and that connection with um, what that was shown to me that started my foundation was my spirituality was the peace that I reached out to far as God, you know, um, I connected uh, and I always continue no matter how hard <laughs> some of the days were to connect with my higher power and to trust that as usual, I would be okay. Then that allowed me to open my heart into giving me permission to say it's okay to feel sad, to feel angry, like you were saying, um, that he passed away not knowing, you know, that I I didn't have that strength or I felt so many emotions that um, he wouldn't have um, fought for me, which I know he would have, you know. Um, so that opened the door of giving me permission because mind you, um, I lack that in my life. I always try to seek validation from everybody else to give me permission. But that started opening me to give my own self permission that it's okay to um, live off the memories and to know that he did the best that he could do with what he knew. He didn't know. You know, once again, like I said, I had to air. This was um, back in the 70s. I'm telling how old I am now. <laughs> so, 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 um, you know, they just came up with the word kinship. This, this, that wasn't trained. It was, and, and I come from a very religious background where they did not um, embrace or advocate like I do mental health resources or therapists or counselors. They rely strictly on God and prayer, you know? So like I said, that opened the door. And then once I got to the permission, um, I started to value investing in myself and seeing Mandy that my life was my, especially my relationships were being unhealthy cycles that was not moving me to the progressiveness or the betterment of life that I know I wanted that I know I wanted to feel every morning. And that is a genuine peace, a genuine happiness, um, um, not filled with anxiety and depression and um, judgmentalness and, and shame. You know, I, I wanted to feel well. I, I knew that I was created some, some way, some shape or form, even with the flaws to live a well-balanced life. Yeah. To live a, a, a life. So I, I, I started knowing that um, that open door of that permission and then investing in myself that freedom to say this back then. Because now you're looking, you're valuing you and checking that box of who you are and how you are created and something this is three jobs and going to school, it might felt like it was working, but it wasn't. You were trying to fill the void. Those unhealthy relationships, you were trying to fill the void of that daddy trust and that daddy love. And no one is going to fit his shoes. No man is going to fill that void of him ever. 
So you're going to have to know who you are and then understand who that person is. And if he's compatible or compassionate enough that can be an asset to your heart, that is best, is, is best for you. So I, 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 that was a working progress, but that was um, a start of my life-changing moments of that grief allowing me to see all of this happen. Yeah. Well, heard, <laughs> yes, I heard, I heard you say the values of peace, trust, and permission so loudly in that mm-hmm. story. And I resonate with those because those are the one, those are values that can impact you mind, heart, body, and spirit. And that's crucial. A lot of times we'll hear people say, oh, well, I value financial wellness. And I'm like, okay, but how do you, how do you translate that to your whole being? Like, how does that actually impact who you are as a whole person? Or is that just an external value? Cause that's okay. But the, those internal values that create alignment in who you are and with where you want to head are crucial. You mentioned earlier the the word kinship in the seventies and how that changed your understanding of how you moved through family and the loss that you were experiencing in your family. But what's the difference between what you were experiencing then where mental health wasn't really part of the conversation. And that now that you have that as a part of the conversation, how does that, how would you speak to the people in that generation who haven't passed away, who are living in that, Hey, God and prayer are our number one. We can come through anything. How would you speak back to it and say, well, actually there's also great value here. They're not disparate. They're not versus they're not black and white. They're in conjunction with each other. I feel like I had done so many things in my life that it was more complicated until I was determined to be simple and be in such a simplicity of getting right to the nutshell. And that was, and this is why I explore and I let people know once I had to choose me and to get a clear understanding of who Kim was and who Kim is, that is when, um, I was able to embrace kinship, um, my entire journey, all my experiences um, and cycles that had to be broken because I now know me and I knew I had to take that time to invest and who I am and not find any validation but to be comfortable and knowing who I am and who I was at that time that I was going through the grief that I was going through the um, this experiences in my life and recognizing how I responded. And like you were saying, those people in the generational era, if they would be able to be truthful about, you know, about their, their life and their situation is that um, once I was able to speak my truth and not hide my feelings and you, and, and break that, you know, what goes in the home stays in the home, what you, what you go through, keep it to yourself. Once I broke that silence, that's when I was able to really get even more peace 
mm. within. And it started with my first mental, it was through one of my marriages that, um, that didn't work. And I thought I was really going to lose it. I really thought I was going to lose it. And I had kids and, um, I'll never forget as me and her sat down and she wanted to know about the past and the foundation. She said this one phrase that no one ever said to me and it would not have been said had I never broke that silence and spoke my truth and was able to trust somebody um, to be able to speak of how I felt. And she said, um, after I, you know, you know, said um, my foundation of my phrase of what I was feeling at that time. And she said, Kim, she said, I want to say something to you. And she looked at me and we not don't nowhere look alike at all, <laughs> different nationality. And she said, I'm so sorry that happened to you as a child. That was it. And I broke, I broke right then. I just cried like a baby because like I said, no one has ever said that to me, but it was able, and that right there had broke that silence of me feeling like there was no one that I could talk to or release my truth and still continue this generational taboo about what goes on in home stays in the home, how you feel, you go, you go to God in prayer. So like you were saying in that generation back then, yeah, you can go to God in prayer all you want, but we all here on earth was for a reason. We was not here on earth uh, for a reason, just by ourselves to be a role model, be an, an inspiration for ourselves by ourselves, or we would have been created differently on a planet or in a bubble or some kind of way. But with, uh, with us all together, we're here for, t- for each other. Yeah. To see one another and to be seen. Yes. And I think yes. that we take that for granted a thousand fold, especially now with social media, we feel like we're seen, but the truth is we're not, we're, we're performing in the same way that the generation did before us. We're putting out something that looks socially acceptable or that looks clean cut or inspirational. But the reality is we're masking so many different things because no one's validated that we have experiences that are worth exploring, even though they're painful, even though they're not the feel good, good vibes, positivity, mumbo jumbo that, uh, causes so much harm. This has been one of the most powerfully beautiful stories I've had on the show in a while. Oh. How, how can people find your book and your story and connect with you? It's, um, on Amazon and Goodreads. So I'm really tickled with that. And, um, I have a beautiful website, uh, the, the guy that designed uh, the book, we, um, we we didn't have to go over too much. Um, that picture that's on there, the epitome of Kimmy is the title, um, is the only picture I have um, from the time that I was that young. I have older pictures, but that was the, I have no infant pictures. I have no pictures with my biological parents or even with my sister. But so when I told him, I said, let's, get a picture of me when I was small. And so I said, hold on for a minute. And I said, this is the first picture that I have. And I said, that's it, that's the start. And so he put in the water with the ripples and stuff that just that's just was just collaboration on my, my journey. 
So um, as I said, the Kimmy was from my adopted dad. So getting to the music lover in me, um, I remember a lyric came about and she said the epitome. And it just, it just sounded so great in my spirit. And I'm Googling and I'm like, what is epitome? What is epitome? And so when I seen that it was the essence, I said, and I put it together, I said, that is it. There is my title, the epitome mm -hmm. of Kimmy. So um, as I was saying, he, he did, he's still with me, still part of my life and just an awesome guy that um, designed the book and he designed my beautiful website. So I have a website that's uh, Kimberly Ann Bell with the E all together one word and you'll get to see my family you get to see my grandkids and also the the cover of the book and how to get the book and contact me we love me and many loves to travel so it's just uh you know i'm i'm just so blessed to you know to live my purpose-driven life to be able to inspire and as my dad said he he would say um, and it was standing room only, you know, when he passed away, but he would say, Kimmy, you know, you're listen to your dear old dad. And, you know, I, we called him daddy bill. Um, he was my daddy bill. He said, um, if I can only just help one person in this world, then my living's not in vain. And I, I want you to be like that. So, you know, that you have a beautiful smile. The world needs your smile, Kimmy, you smile regardless, you know, give the world that smile and listen to what I, how I live my life, just helping one person. If I help more than that, that's fine. But one person, then my living's not in vain. And so I just, I just, I just love that. That's, that's what I will be doing for the rest of my life is try to inspire at least one person. <laughs> I love it. Well, you've done it. So congratulations. Now it should Thank be you. easy peasy on the way out. You just be like, everything else is gravy. <laughs> right, right. Uh, well, thank you so much for spending your time. I'm really excited for our audience to get a copy of your book and hear more about who you are and what makes you, you, and just be encouraged by the path forward that you have forged for yourself and the generations you've created behind you. I'm just honored yes, to get to hold yes. space for you today. So thank you. For thank you here. so much, Mandy, for having me. And thank you so much for being a blessing today to me. Yes. Thank you for listening to episode 63 of Restorative Grief. I loved the way Kimberly framed her understanding of self through her values, finding a way to return to peace, permission, and trust through the toughest experiences of her life. There is a lot of truth to all of our stories that in our 20s, we start to reckon with how we were raised, what we believe, and who we are. Now imagine doing that if you're also carrying unacknowledged trauma from your childhood, which I imagine a lot of us are. As Kimberly said, it only takes one adult to acknowledge and see who we are, where we are, and help us see the value of who we are to start unraveling so we can begin to heal. We weren't meant to be isolated in this life, shining a light on ourselves for our own benefit, we were meant to walk alongside one another through all the times, simple, hard, and every space in between. If this is your first time listening, thank you for being here on Restorative Grief with me. Please take a moment to subscribe to the show, leave a shiny five-star review, and consider sharing this episode with someone you know who might be working through their own rocky past. You never know if this memoirist and her story could be the very person to help them feel seen. Or maybe it's you. 
And if that's the case, then make sure you reach out because that person definitely needs you. Thanks again to our patrons and everyone in the Restorative Grief Project for continuing to show up and bring your story and your whole heart to the surface as we continue to navigate and find paths forward into healing together. And one last thing, please remember the only solution to grief is to do the work of grieving. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next week.